You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. If you like All Things Video, I'm sure you'll enjoy my new friend Sheila Cagill's podcast, Communicate Influence. The Communicate Influence podcast explores the obvious and less obvious issues and trends in PR, communications, and marketing. It's essential listening for anyone at the forefront of these industries. Listen at communicateinfluence.com or with your favorite podcast listening app. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Anne Dolenshek, head of South African influencer marketing agency, Influential, and co-host of the Coffee Conversations about Influencer Marketing podcast. Anne, welcome to the show. Hi, James. Thank you so much for having me. I feel completely and utterly honored that you asked me to be part of this episode. So thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. And it's always fun having a fellow uh, influencer marketing podcaster on the show. Yeah, I I love it. I absolutely love speaking to other like-minded people. Amazing. And I thought we'd start off by talking a little bit about your early background, right? You started your career in public relations. So I'm curious, what initially attracted you to PR? So I actually started my career in events management, which I very soon realized was not for me. Uh, I take my hats off to anyone who's in that industry. I was in it for about a year and I just realized uh, this is not for me. And then uh, kind of started looking around at what else I can do with my degree. Uh, I have a degree in communication management and kind of started talking to people, different people in different careers that kind of utilizes that. And public relations to me had a couple of things that really attracted me. Firstly, I've been writing for a very long time, uh, basically my whole life. And just the thought of having writing kind of be part of your job description was really appealing to me. And secondly, being part of a team that would kind of mold communications and how brands speak to consumers was very appealing to me. And that's when I I had got my break at a boutique agency, would forever be grateful to those owners who was like, they saw potential in me and took me on. And it was fantastic. I learned so much in one year because we were only four people in the agency that you had to do everything from the admin to the actual media relations. So that was fantastic. And I, and I love it. I still love PR. So it sounds like you had the degree in communications, but it's maybe you were learning a lot of this on the job, right? What were some of the key takeaways that you learned during your PR experience? Absolutely. I think doing a degree is one thing, but actually putting it to practice is completely different. So one of my key takeouts was just that sheer lesson that you learn that everything about public relations, and I think also now with influencer management, anything in communications really, is all about that that key relationships that you have. And just the way that you go about forming these relationships with not only um, your clients, but also media, and now also your influencers that came into play at some point. It was just critically, incredibly kind of those skills that you had to learn to kind of form those relationships that still stands me to good stead. At what point did the world of communications and PR start to intersect with influencer marketing? So after I was at the the boutique agency, I got my break at quite a big agency that's international. And there I was already a blogger at that point and kind of was enjoying being both sides of the coin, being the public relations person as well as being the blogger. And that was back in the day before influencer was, was even a word. 
And they, in my teams that I worked on certain brands, we started seeing influencer marketing coming through. And at that point, like I say, it was only really bloggers that we started utilizing as media and getting coverage and getting our messaging out there. And because my team kind of knew that I was also on the blogging side of things, whenever we started having those interactions with clients where they started asking for this new media or bloggers to be part of events, be part of campaigns, they would kind of throw me to that side because they were like, I understood what bloggers would want. And at that point, the industry was quite small. So I kind of knew a lot of them as well. And then digital PR came into play, which was a lot to do with influencers. And that just kind of grew. And I really, really loved it. So I always put my hand up when when that was the case as part of a campaign. So I suppose that's how it grew very organically, just kind of towards my passion. And it was digital PR at that point. That's great. And what led you to join the team at Influential? Oh, so that's kind of an interesting story, if you can say. I joined the team in February of last year. And the year prior to that, I was actually retrenched. I was part of a startup. And we all know the dangers going to startups, you know, it's it's quite an adrenaline rush. And a couple of months into it, it wasn't doing that well. And about 95% of the staff got retrenched. Unfortunately, I was one of them. And I then started freelancing and doing kind of contract work. And my old agency picked me up as well and said, look, come to us for the next three to six months while you kind of sort out what you want to do. And that was absolutely wonderful of them to do that. Part of that time that I was there, a really old friend of mine who's also in in the influence marketing space, but more on the platform and tech side of developing it, had a chat to me and he asked me, what's your next steps? And I was like, I don't actually know. Right now, I know that I want to more go into the influence marketing side of public relations, but I'm still kind of deciding how I want to do that and what would be the best way. And he was involved with Infinity, which is the the umbrella kind of company that that hosts Influential as well. And he had dealings with them and decided to put me in contact with one of the CEOs there and just said, look, I think you guys have a lot in common. Have a chat and see where things go. And within two or three meetings, they offered me uh, the job of heading up Influential. We kind of realized early on, we had the same kind of ideas about influence marketing. We had the kind of same vision of where we wanted it to go in South Africa. And they had this business influential inside where they were like, they weren't going live with it yet because they were looking for the right person to head it up. And that happened to be me. And I was so honored when they said to me, look, we've been wanting to launch this company for the last year, but we just haven't found anyone. Would you be interested? And that's kind of how I joined the company and ever grateful for it. Amazing. And so what is your focus day to day? You know, what type of uh, influencer campaigns is Influential working on? Yeah. So Influential is part of, like I said, the Infinity Group, which hosts quite a few other companies that is involved with influencer marketing. We have a company that solely focuses on nano influencers. And then we've got another agency that only focuses on the micro to macro guys. And where Influential comes in, our main focus is on developing influence marketing strategies for campaigns. So we're not really involved with implementation, but we write that roadmap of where influence marketing for a campaign should go, especially when it comes to objectives, target markets, platforms, the type of content. Because what we see in South Africa a lot is 
that everyone wants influence marketing and everyone wants to kind of have a campaign, but they don't really know what they want to do with it. So we're stepping in and kind of helping them guide them. And that's what we really do. And then our second main focus, especially for 2020, is education. We see that a lot of brands don't really know much about the discipline. It's more of a tick box instead of really understanding how to effectively use it as a legitimate marketing channel. How does influencer marketing differ in your region in South Africa from other parts of the world? Yeah, so in South Africa, it's really still in its infant state. So we've had influence marketing, probably it's been developing and evolving over the last seven, six years maybe, but it's only really come into its own in the last two years where brands really started taking it seriously. Before then, you'd have the art campaign where they would engage influencers to come to events or send them press drops to get coverage. But it wasn't really a gig where influencers would really get paid. It would be more barter exchanges for goods and services. And then about two years ago, it started changing. And people, I think, very much looking at the US, looking at Australia, looking at Europe, of how the markets matured, it started really becoming an interesting channel. And it's now people are recognizing it as a legitimate marketing channel where you kind of have to strategize, you have to kind of get influences involved that shares values, that can be paid for it to do amazing content. So from that point of view, we're still very young and uh, we're kind of looking to those mature markets to, to learn from you guys, but also to see how we can adapt it to our very unique circumstances in South Africa. But it's still very, very young. Yeah, makes sense. I've observed the same thing in other regions, right? When we look at, you know, what's happening in emerging markets across Southeast Asia or thinking about what happens in LATAM. And in some cases, you know, they seem to be behind markets like, say, the U.S. uh, or Western Europe. But in other cases, you know, they're able to quickly adapt some of the new trends or embrace new platforms more quickly because they've observed what's happened in some of those markets that might be a little bit further ahead. And then in other cases, they might be more advanced, right? We see certainly examples of that throughout Asia, where, you know, I think we're seeing much more e-commerce happening through influencer marketing, multiple different revenue streams for influencers, even before that happened in, say, the US or parts of Europe. So it's always interesting to hear what's going on in different regions and how that influences one another. Absolutely. And I think for us, I'm always quite grateful that we are a bit behind the curve because we can observe the other markets and see where they kind of made mistakes and we can kind of try and avoid that. And like you say, in the Asian markets where they, in some places, are ahead of the curve because it's so unique to their regions. And we're seeing that in South Africa as well, that certain things that might not work well in the US or Australia is working amazingly well for us. And we're kind of adapting and kind of getting ahead of the curve there. What are the key social platforms that are important for influencers throughout South Africa? In South Africa, we're very much still, Facebook is very much still the front runner. We do a yearly survey from influential. We actually have the second one out now to to speak to consumers and see where they're spending most of their time. And time and time again, it comes out that Facebook is still tops. And I think in South Africa, it's still very much a platform where you're connecting with with your your tribe, so to speak. So it's people you really know. It's your parents, your friends who's living overseas. So you put a lot of content that's really personal out there. 
And then secondly, we're seeing Instagram, like in the rest of the world, Instagram is really, really big here. But um, so that's second for us. And that's again, coming into the market, really embracing video and images very much. And then thirdly, funny enough, is still Twitter. And I don't know if in the States, Twitter is still really big. But in South Africa, it seems to to be quite quite the platform still, especially for engagement and having real conversations. And then I have a sneak suspicion that this year, TikTok will really be up there when we get our, our feedback. Everyone seems to be jumping on TikTok at the moment, especially with the lockdowns going on. Yeah, you know, Instagram probably is number one for us. And then we hear a lot about YouTube. You know, Twitter seems to be much more relevant for things like news and politics and live sports. Uh, so okay. obviously, it's probably been hit pretty hard recently due to the coronavirus issue, though, you Absolutely. know, it, it can be a source of vital information during this time. So yeah, it's, it's always interesting to hear the nuances in each market and how the different platforms uh, are growing. TikTok is taking the world by storm, certainly massive throughout the US and much of Europe and, and obviously Asia. So that's certainly one to watch. Absolutely. I think South Africans by nature, we have a great sense of humor. And even in times of adversity, we like to laugh at situations. And that's just our way of coping. And we've seen a huge uptake on TikTok and just memes and things where people are just making fun of the situation because we're like, you know what, we're all doing our bits, but if we can't laugh at it, we'll die. So (laughs) TikTok has been a form of just entertainment, I suppose, for everyone at this point for us. Good. So I wanted to ask you, as Instagram stories have become one of the dominant content formats for influencer campaigns, how do you talk to brands about the differences between ephemeral influencer posts, so things like stories or Snapchat, where the content has a shelf life, versus more of the permanent media placement of something like a YouTube video, or in some cases, like a a Facebook post, right? If If Facebook's dominant in your region, people are posting to the timeline, And people can kind of go back and reference that post. How do you think about the differences between those different types of content? Obviously, it depends on what the objectives of the campaign is, right? And you're right. Even with us, we see that stories is massively overtaking what's going on in people's feeds. And I think that's probably also due to their algorithm. So we always say... Look, the ephemeral content is just as important, but it's important to get that 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 quick impact because we know that it's going to be loaded onto a story and much more people are going to see it. So I always try to have a combination of both. Your ephemeral content is fantastic to have that, that first kind of hard hit. People see it, people become aware of it. So your awareness is really big. And if you're using the bigger influencers that they have the swipe up function, that's amazing. You can drive them to certain websites and to certain content that you want them to see. But that permanent content will, will never be irrelevant. That's where people will always go back to. And if people are going through timelines, you know, people are always discovering those, those content. I don't know if it's the same in the US, but in South Africa, I get a question a lot from brands is they find that you will engage an influencer on campaigns and part of the contract would be to do this permanent content and get that engagement. But the moment that uh, contract or the contract period is over, they delete it. So what do people do? In that instance also then becomes kind of ephemeral content, whether that be a month or two months. And I'm always just like, look, put it in your contract is you know the the maximum time or the minimum time it needs to be living on your timeline but we see that happening a lot more where we just have to put those clauses in but both of them are so important 
as I say, that ephemeral content is for that hard hit, that, that initial mass awareness, and then you want that permanent content where people can go back and discover that content. And where that permanent content for us on our side is also, if it's on someone's timeline, you can then also put paid media behind that and reach a much bigger relevant audience than what the um, organically it would. We've observed a similar trend in other markets where certainly influencers want to delete branded content after a certain period of time. And we have seen it inserted into the contracts that you need to keep the post up for a certain amount of time or it needs to be there forever and you can't delete it. So that's something for influencers to navigate. I I expect, as with anything, it's always a a discussion, right? It's a conversation about um, what's the relative value of that. And you may have to pay more in order to have that additional longevity of the content because influencers are trying to curate this experience for their fans and they you know they don't want to saturate their social accounts with too much branded content there needs to kind of be this balance but james don't you think that also on the influencer side they should only be working with an x amount of brands that they're really proud to represent that kind of has the same values that they have that content permanently and not saturate their timelines, they shouldn't be working with millions and millions of brands. I feel for us, it's just kind of like, like, do you want to work with someone who's working with a million brands? Not really. That just becomes another ad ad space then. I don't know how you guys yeah. feel about that. No, I completely agree. You know, it's, it's different, I think, as influencers progress in the stages of their career, right? A, yeah. a nano influencer, micro influencer might be willing to do more types of sponsorships early on that you wouldn't accept as a mid-tier or a larger influencer down the road and you have more opportunities. But I I fundamentally agree with the point, which is that influencers need to protect their brand image and make sure that the advertisers they work with reflect the same values because then your audience, you know, views it as they understand that it's part of the business, right? That's how you earn money. That's how you're able to create the content that they enjoy. And so it, while it used to be viewed maybe as selling out, there's certainly been this shift where now the audience understands, okay, there's going to be some sponsored content and that is better than an interruptive ad experience. And yeah. it's allowing this influencer to, to build a career and, and do what they love. Absolutely. 100%. In fact, that kind of leads me to my next question, which is we're seeing more of the medium size and larger influencers working with brands on a more of an ongoing basis. So right, rather than one-off campaigns, we're just renting the audience and it is viewed as ad space. There's been much more of a move towards long-term brand sponsorships or an ambassador program where it's not just, I'm going to create one piece of content, but I'm signed with brand X for a full year. I'm going to create multiple pieces of content. There might be tentpole or hero content that's supported by shoulder content, but you know, you work as a creative strategist alongside the brand to think about how you're going to support their various marketing initiatives rather than just having one-off kind of ad placement. Are you seeing the same thing in your business? So at the moment, we're not really seeing that happening in South Africa yet. We obviously have brands that have the ambassadors and have the long-term relationships, but they are not the norm at the moment. It's more the much bigger brands that have that, and they have kind of more the celebrity influencers that's doing that kind of thing. But we're definitely seeing that as a trend that probably will start taking hold this year where brands are moving more towards that and I think it's fantastic just purely because when you have that long-term relationships with influencers as a brand you build that credibility and trust as time goes on so 
not only will the influencers start being more loyal to the brand because they they're obviously having deeper relationships with them and understanding them better and really becoming more of a partnership than anything else but also their audience that's your target market will start seeing this content on a more frequent basis and then also if it's aligned with obviously the brand and their values and what the content is for that influencer normally, the target market really starts seeing that or the audience starts seeing that as if they really do love your brand, which they probably do because they're working with them. And then you, you gain the trust not only of the influencer, but also of, of the audience that is invaluable because you're starting to tap into those niche markets and kind of converting them into to regular consumers, which is absolutely amazing. Very cool. Obviously, the current global health crisis has been the top of everyone's minds recently, and it's had pretty big implications for influencer marketings. Have you seen examples of influencers helping brands still reach their audience and stay top of mind during this isolation? Are you observing brands holding back, kind of waiting things out before they, they try to run campaigns again? So for us, um, we're quite kind of new into um, the COVID-19 scare. We have only been in lockdown for, at the time of this recording, for six days. So we're still kind of waiting to see what's happening. But we are personally in the in the business experiencing a lot of brands who are putting a lot of things on hold because they are in a panic state. They don't really know what to do right now. I think they're waiting to see how consumers' behavior is changing. And we are starting to see that consumers are turning to social media a lot more in this time, which is, is great for our business because a lot of um, brands have that we haven't heard from in a while that we've finished campaigns with, who's kind of doing their planning stages, has come to us in the stage and said, look, we need to start planning now for this stage of where we're in lockdown and we don't know how long it's going to last, where we need to reach our audiences. They can see as much as we can see as well. And we're actually doing a survey on it now with consumers to see how the behaviors has changed so we can help our, our customers and our brands that work with us. We see that people are turning to the platforms a lot more. We have a lot of people who are isolated alone or with their core families. So not being able to go out with friends and family or just to work to see your work colleagues People are turning to their favorite influencers for not only information and keeping updated, but also for entertainment. And we are kind of advising our clients that this is now the time to leverage that. And also to show brands that this is where influencer marketing shines, like we are reaching these people. So we are seeing that starting to happen where influencers are being used. But our biggest warning to clients now are to, they need to relook their messaging we can't be going out in a time of panic and where people are anxious and scared and push products. We need to now look at influencers to talk to, to their audiences and to your target markets about informing them or entertaining them, but also being empathetic and being sensitive because now is the time to build that brand love and not to push products. Of course, we've seen some examples highlighted on social media of brands that were still running the same ad campaigns oh. at a time when many people were feeling, you know, the economic impact of the crisis Absolutely. and it just comes across as tone deaf, right? And then you, on the other hand, you see some really creative examples of influencers teaming up with nonprofits or helping brands communicate whether they're helping small businesses that are staying open as best they can through the crisis or you know, whether it's restaurants trying to promote takeout and food delivery instead of dine-in options, you know, there's still 
a lot of brands that need to be sensitive and need to be able to convey their message so that we can all work together to get through the current issues. And it's been great to see influencer marketing be at the forefront of that. Absolutely. It's so wonderful. And I think brands are starting to have that that kind of mind shift as well, where people are isolated. In South Africa, we are locked down, like we're not even allowed to leave our houses to go for walks, you know. So we only go out to shops when we run out of food and to kind of replenish that. And if you want to go, to, if you need to go to the doctor, not even want to. So for us, we see a lot of brands then looking at their traditional ad spend. So you're out of home, your billboards, people aren't seeing that. Your print is really going down because people obviously aren't buying magazines and newspapers and things. We are also told to go into shop and get what you need and come out to kind of decrease your risk of exposure. So where do brands turn to? And that's digital, that's influences, that's where your audience is right now. And it is, like you say, it's so heartwarming to see influencers pull together with brands to kind of give that sense of community to consumers now, to kind of calm them down, to give them reassurance, to help them. Like you say, the nonprofits, for us, it's a, it's a, we've got big community that might not necessarily be able to get to, to shops for food and things. So we've got a lot of nonprofits kind of running to, to kind of deliver that emergency things to people if they need it. And we see that just influences organically spreading that news. And it's absolutely heartwarming to see that. What are the long-term implications of coronavirus, right? Do you see a shift back once this is all over to an extent to more of our traditional patterns? Or is it too hard to put the genie back in the bottle and you know more of these TV dollars are going to shift to digital? This further slash in, in print advertising won't return. It's going to stay that way. What, what do you predict? I personally, I don't think we will ever go back to the way things were. I think after the pandemic is under control, there'll definitely be a new normal that we all need to get used to. And I definitely think that during this time, brands who were complete naysayers of digital and and influencer marketing and still had like big chunks of traditional marketing will start realizing that digital marketing and influence marketing is kind of where you will see those results, especially during this time. And I think once they realize that there is real ROI in that and there's real kind of returns in that, that they will keep a bigger chunk of the marketing spend in the influence marketing and digital space. And I think that print and traditional advertising on television things would definitely be cut still. And I think they'll also start realizing that Especially in South Africa, we're seeing that less and less people are watching television, less and less people are are listening to the radio, where we are streaming a lot more content, whether it be podcasts, whether it be your on-demand kind of television like your Netflixes and things. We don't have to watch advertising anymore, and it's quite intrusive. So when you see digital, you see influencer marketing, those are opted in audiences. I subscribe to a certain website or I subscribe to a certain influencer's content because I love that content. So once you align yourself with the right people and the right websites and the right platforms, so to speak, you don't have to beg people to look at your advertising. But if it's done in an organic way and in a relatable way, that people will just kind of receive that. So I definitely think that shift's going to come and it's going to be hard. Yeah, I think the same thing is true. In some respects, we can't go back to the way things were. Live events are completely canceled for this year. Most sporting events, the Olympics are going to be 2021. So that advertiser spend will get reallocated. 
and it's going to go to digital because I think a lot of those older buyers are finally going to see, well, it works. And I have great measurements and there's been an uptick in viewership and audience engagement during this period because people are trapped in front of their phones uh, and their TV screens and everything else. But it's also going to change the way that we interact with uh, each other, right? We're starting to see as well, um, corporate South Africa, especially, there's not, hasn't ever been like a huge culture in remote working. And this is forcing people to do it. And I think a lot of corporates are realizing, but it works. My workforce is productive, if not more productive than what they were in office settings. We don't see the need for people to sit in in traffic for hours a day to get into the office, which obviously has an impact on their creativity and their productivity. And I also think corporates will realize that they might be able to save some money and not have these big overheads that they have currently. And just kind of distributed to people's broadband at home and check in with people it's, it's going to be amazing and I think just the um, ecology of it all like the earth like if you can read those articles since the lockdowns have started across the world how pollution has kind of go down and we're starting to see the earth regenerate herself so I think there's definitely silver linings but we just need to get through this really really hard time we are finding ourselves in right now yeah absolutely what inspired you to launch your podcast, The Coffee Conversation about Influencer Marketing? It actually was started by my co-host, Sinti. He started about a year, year and a half before I joined the company because he's very, very passionate about influencer marketing and he's very passionate about podcasting even then, which was unheard of. I think there were very few podcasts around at the time. And then when I joined the company, uh, I became kind of a regular guest on it. And then there was an opportunity and we said, look, this obviously works. People like us kind of having more than one host. Do you want to join? And I absolutely jumped at the chance. We also started sponsoring the podcast and then it just kind of morphed into becoming our podcast. And now I'm a producer, I'm a co-host, and it's just become a really big part of my marketing as well to kind of tap into those niche audiences. And that's really what the podcast for me was about. I really love being able to pull in amazing guests and talking about really relevant topics and having to reach those really niche audiences where they can really resonate with it. And it's kind of a different packaging of marketing, right? Back in the day, we'd have a press release or we'd have a conference or we'd have a webinar. And now you kind of have this content that living on a podcast is kind of evergreen, which I absolutely love. Terrific. And what is the types of content that you cover with your guests? Our podcast is aimed towards marketers and kind of anyone who is part of the influence marketing side of things. Um, Not so much influencers, but the other side of it. So we talk about anything that's relevant at the time. So the changes in the influencer marketing space and how it fits into the marketing mix as a whole. So our latest episode is about influencer marketing in the time of um, COVID-19, how to navigate that as a brand. So we just kind of like to pull in guests from different industries and how influencer marketing works for that industry and how they've experienced it. So it's just really a really good discussion about what works, what doesn't, and just kind of educating the marketers in the space, really. That's great. What's coming next? If you had to make three predictions for the future of the influencer marketing space, what would they be? So I think for us, number one, 
is that influencer marketing will kind of shine and prove itself to those naysayers in the space at the time. So I think really there will be a bigger uptake on influencer marketing. It will become more popular while it's proving itself right now. And then secondly, I think, as we also said earlier, that those long-term relationships, especially in South Africa, will start taking foothold because it's just so advantageous when you also... I think another thing for me that I didn't mention before is with those long-term relationships, you also find an influencer that's really loyal to your brand and that's really good for your brand that you can hold on to. So I think corporates would really and brands would really start seeing value in that. So that's really going to thrive. And then I think lastly, nano and micro influencers will become quite a big thing. It will They will really start to shine. So in South Africa, we've started seeing that happening over the last year because they've got such high engagement and such high credibility and trust. So I think brands are going to tap more and more into into those two types of influences. And let's define those because I find that, you know, people have different understandings of nano and micro influencers. When you when you say that, what do you have in mind? What's kind of the typical follower range for a, a nano influencer and a micro influencer? Sure. So in South Africa, it's a lot different to, to the more mature markets like the US. For us, a nano influencer is someone with a very, very small uh, following on social media. They're more influential kind of in real life, but they have those tribes of theirs online. So we typically look at the person who doesn't really have a fan page or a blog page or anything like that on, on Facebook. They've got their private Facebook pages and they know everyone who's kind of on there. So it's their friends, their family, it's their acquaintances. And the same goes for the other platforms. They're generally on like a Twitter or an Instagram but it's very small. It's people they know. So for us, we look up until about a follower count of about a thousand. It's very, very small, but they are usually, usually engaging and very influential in those spaces. So that's, that's anyone who has that ability to influence someone's either their opinions or their purchasing behavior. And I feel like for us, that that's absolutely everyone so my mother is really big into gardening and she's a huge influence in that even in my friend circle where I would get whatsapps monthly going look I've got this space in my garden or my house can you please ask your mom what plant I should put there so <laughs> you know so she's really an influence in my space when it comes to gardening with my friends and I which is fantastic so we're really looking at those those really niche tribes that people can infiltrate then for micro influencers in South Africa, it's very much about those niche influencers that that's really experts in their field. So, James, for us, you would be an influencer in the influencer marketing space, right? And marketing. And people would specifically follow you to get insights and updated news and just kind of that kernel of wisdom in your niche. So sure. in South Africa right now, we see a lot of food bloggers. We see a lot of fitness influencers on Instagram. So people would really follow them for that. Very highly engaged audiences. And we look at them no more than 10,000 followers in that space. Yeah, I would say it's similar here in the US. We think yeah. of nano influencers, sub 1000 followers. Of course, there's different nuances among platforms, but that's kind of typically the barometer. And like you said, yeah. it's it's more of those people that are influential among their friends or in their community. And then the, the micro influencers are those probably closer to you know a few thousand, but certainly under 10,000 followers that engage a certain tribe of people in something very specific, some sort yeah. of niche passion community. Oh, amazing. I thought in the States, 
everything's bigger and better. You'd have like <laughs> like 10,000 and then your micros will be up to like 100,000. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We certainly see cases of that, but it's great that even though our space is so young, we're starting to develop some of the same lexicon, right? That yeah, there are absolutely love that. emerging definitions that we're trying to codify. Yeah, very. So what does the future hold for influential? I think for us, we still, obviously we're still babies. We're just over a year old now, but we want to continue just helping brands. And I think that's what we do. We just want to be the guiding lights and teaching brands uh, about influence marketing. So education for us will always be a very strong hold for us. We want to be seen by as many agencies and as many brands and marketers to just kind of guide them on what influence marketing is and, and why it's important and how they can utilize it effectively. And then obviously developing those all important influence marketing strategies or roadmaps as we like to call them. So that for us, we just want to continue to build on that and kind of becoming the industry leaders in that. If you were starting a business in the digital media space today, what would you do? So I think um, we live in interesting times <laughs> and everyone is kind of very digitally savvy. So I would say if you want to start a digital business right now, the first thing you need to do before you go live, before you start telling people about your business and make sure that the basics are in place. So a digital business, please make sure your digital channels are completely and utterly up to scratch. So whether that be your website, whether that be your um, social media channels. And I think also worth mentioning is just a lot of people starting digital businesses think they have to be on every single platform and that's absolutely rubbish like choose the ones that is most relevant to your business whether it be LinkedIn whether it be Twitter Instagram wherever your customers or your consumers will be that's kind of the channels you start with and then add from there but get the basics right I feel if you're a new or a young business that's the first place people are going to go to right we live in the, the age of Google if you're telling me about your business or someone says to me, you know what, my friends just start business, they're amazing. The first thing I'm going to do is Google them and, and kind of research them. So if you're a digital business, get the basics right and then grow from there. Very good. Always good advice. And where can people find out more about you and more about Influential and the Coffee Conversations about Influencer Marketing Podcast? Yeah. So um, for Influential, we have a wonderful website where you can, you can go and see our services and read our blogs and all of that stuff. So that's influential.co.za and it's influential without the I. We're very hip at happening. We start with the N. <laughs> and then we are only on Twitter and LinkedIn and we are at Influential uh, SA if you want to find us there. Personally, you can find me at Anne Dolly uh, across social media. Would love to to hear from your listeners and from yourself. Just have some good conversations on those platforms. Absolutely. And I encourage everyone who's listening in to check out your podcast. A lot of great conversations, a lot of really cool interviews and, uh, and tips that you share there. So oh, certainly uh, recommend it to everybody. Sorry. Yeah, I forgot. The most important ways you can find our podcast, right? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, we, you can follow our Facebook page, which is just Coffee Conversations about Influencer Marketing. And we keep updating that. So be amazing if your listeners could also give us a listen. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I find that, you know, many people listening in are curious about the emerging trends in influencer marketing. And as we discussed, things are different in every market, right? It's constantly evolving, constantly changing, and yet uh, starting to converge, right? As the world gets smaller and smaller, some of the things like the terminology and the approaches to different types of campaigns are becoming more and more similar. Absolutely. And I think um, with a crisis in the health space we're seeing right now with COVID-19, it's proving more and more that we're a global village as everyone's turning to the internet and to platforms to actually find that connection across the world, which is amazing. So yeah. Anne, thank you again for coming on the show. So fun to have you on and learn a little bit more about your background from PR to embracing influencer marketing and teaming up with the uh, the influential crew and just sharing you know, what people are doing, how influencers are helping in this time of, of COVID-19 crisis and sharing your predictions for the future. Absolutely. Thank you, James. I really, really enjoyed this. And yeah, we're having you on our podcast soon. So that'll also be a lot of fun. Yes. Can't wait. Very much looking forward to it. And we'll, we'll share that with everyone uh, as soon as it comes out. Thank you so much, James. And have a fantastic day. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.